0: Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. I want to tell you, if you use your cell phone like I do to deposit checks into your account, there's new rules I want to make sure you're aware of in today's Clark Clarkrageous moment, and coming up later, we're going to have a visit with David Lazarus the brilliant consumer writer with the Los Angeles Times about drug pricing. It's been in the news a lot lately with a proposal that drug ads on TV tell you what they're actually going to cost, and we're going to have a conversation about that and your wallet when it comes to drugs. Speaking of your wallet, isn't it weird retailers that go out of business, and unless something happened where you were directly affected, like having a gift card that you couldn't use or an item you wanted to return you couldn't return, or unless you were an employee of a place shutting down, that retailers, when they fail, have very little effect on the overall market anymore. A perfect example is the demise of Toys R Us. I remember as Toys R Us faded into oblivion, there were a lot of... Experts predicting that toys would be less competitive this Christmas. The opposite is happening. There's massive jockeying for position going on in the toy aisle, and this Christmas is going to be ultra price competitive and intense as companies fight for market share ongoing in the toy aisle. Target is adding a massive amount of square footage in their stores for toys through the Christmas shopping season, more than they normally would. If you're a regular Target shopper, you probably know the areas of the store that they expand and shrink for seasonal, whether it's Easter or Halloween or Christmas or any special occasion through the years. They have a space that's fungible, that changes its purpose, but this year they are going to go further and do more as far as having more toys on the shelves in the store and at Target.com. Walmart already signaled that it was going to be very aggressive with toys employing a dual strategy of the Walmart stores and Walmart.com. I was in Costco just a couple of days ago, and it may be a false perception on my part, but it looked like they were using one more row for toys. I mean, here it is that we're so early in the season, still in October, and they already have. A large number of Christmas toys out on the floor, which is not in itself unusual for Sam's Club and Costco to have a lot of toys out, but my perception was there were more out there on the floor. Amazon wants to take some of the market share that disappeared from Toys R Us vanishing, and they want a piece of that pie. So you're going to have, from every direction of big box, and Amazon, the virtual big box, you're going to see a very aggressive Christmas. And that's very much to your advantage in the toy aisle. Uh, The problem comes outside of the Christmas season, having the variety of toys available, because that is a role that Toys R Us played in the marketplace was when Christmas was over and all those aisles shrink back from toys it will be up to the online sellers the online side of physical stores like Walmart and Target Amazon of course but the toy aisle it's not like the result of this will be higher prices at least for now You're going to want to comparison shop more even than you would have in prior Christmas seasons because of how aggressive all these companies are going to be to try to get you to think about them as the place to go for toys. Kayla is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Kayla. Hi. Kayla, how can I serve you today?
1: Okay, Clark, we have three children ages 13, 7, and 10 months. And I want to see what we can do to invest the money for them. Um, we want to be able to help them when we feel like they're ready for it as far as buying their first car or their first home or starting a family. So what are your suggestions?
0: All right. So first of all, I just did the math. You have brilliant family planning.
1: Well, thank you.
0: Because you built in babysitters right there. Right. Six years apart each kid?
1: That's pretty good
0: there. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So if the money's not for school, it gets a little more complicated. So how much money are you thinking of for each child?
1: Uh we would like it to I would like to have I don't know, I'm really open like anywhere from like ten to twenty thousand per per child.
0: So you got a 13-year-old. You'd want to have that money at what age? Probably about 10 years for him. 10 years from now. Okay, so I'm going to give you some crazy suggestions, okay? Okay. You ready for crazy? I'm ready. (laughs) Because I'm always nervous about putting money in a kid's name because as precious as our kids are when they're young, we don't know exactly how mature they're going to be and responsible once legally they have access to money. So now with a 13-year-old, 7-year-old, and one who's going to be one soon, you are in a position now with custodial accounts, you get to make all decisions. But once they achieve what's considered to be adulthood, which is actually often before a kid's mature enough, to make good decisions with money, if they find out the money's there, they have the ability to take control of it and spend it on things that you've worked hard to save that you might not be able to control. So you ready for my weird suggestion I recommend? Yes. (laughs) All right. You've heard me talk about Roth IRAs. Yes, I have. Is that something that you and your husband do?
1: We don't right now. Um, we don't. We don't have any in, anything invested. We're um, we're small business owners. We have two businesses that we run, and we're just now to the point where um, you know our vehicles are paid for. Our house is close to being paid for, and we're ready to start investing some money.
0: All right. So let me tell you the beauty of using the Roths as a way to save for your kids. You control it now and in the future. And everything the accounts earn, they earn tax-free. So your intention is to give a decent amount of money to each of your children, It uh, sounds like in maybe mid-20s. Right. Whenever so,
1: whenever they, um, when I feel like they're ready for it.
0: All right. So you maintain 100% control if you and your husband each fund Roth's up to age 50, you're each allowed to put in up to $5,500 a year into these. After age 50, 6500 each. But anyway, you can so- sock away enough money over these years moving forward that you can fully put money aside that will meet what your goal are, goals are for these three kids. But see, here's the beauty. You can only give them what you've contributed to it. The earnings stay behind with you. And stay there for you till you would need the money in retirement. So it becomes like a partial retirement account for you with completely tax-free growth. You maintain complete control of the money, and when you're ready for them to have the money you've contributed on their behalf, you can give it to your 13-year-old 10 or so years from now and have it be a completely tax-free event. If you don't think your 13 year old is mature enough at that point and you want to wait a couple more years, you wait a couple more years, but you completely are in charge because it's your account, your money. So the loophole with a Roth is the money that is earned in a Roth has to be left aside till age you're 59 and a half or older. But the money you contribute to the Roth, you're free to use for any purpose at any time.
1: That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. Um, Okay, I'm going to look into that and research that. Thank you so much.
0: And on, if you look on Clark.com, I have a very simple guide for you to set up a Roth, and you'll know exactly what to do. Matthew's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Matthew. Hey, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you. You got a question for me about the stock market.
2: Uh, Yes. Uh, So I'm a college student, and I had uh, taken out some money uh, from my student loan, a subsidized student loan, and placed it in the stock market into uh, some well-known stocks and um, was wanting to uh, use that money to, um, I guess, have access to the dividends um, to, to accrue those gains. And so I wanted to know uh, what your thoughts were on that. Is this too risky? Um, you know, for a college student and uh, would I would there be a better place to serve for that money, for that student loan money?
0: So y- you have the ability to borrow uh, under the federally subsidized loan program where there's no interest paid until six months after you graduate, interest starts, right?
2: That's correct.
0: So this is free money. The, the question I would ask you, if... We hit a, t- a tough spot in the stock market. You've put this money into the stocks that you borrowed. Are you prepared to deal with the consequences if that money's not there when you're out of school and you've got to pay it
3: back?
2: Uh, yes, yes. It's not, it's not too much to where I couldn't handle paying it back. Um, plus, my education right now, um, I'm expected to be in school for another Uh, two years
0: if you are comfortable with the risk and you wouldn't lose any sleep if you lost the money then this is essentially borrowing money at no cost okay but I've had this question I should tell you over the years I've had this question at least half a dozen times from people who have borrowing authority that they don't Mm -hmm. need to use under the federal student loan program you got to really do a gut check with yourself that you're going to be okay if, let's say, you put a few thousand, you're doing a few thousand each year in the stock market.
2: Right, right. Like I, I've just started this, um, and I've, only, I've 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 borrowed roughly uh, four thousand dollars and have invested those into, um, like I said, those well-known stocks. All right. And, so um, let's
0: say let's just say we have a, a real serious decline in the market, and 4, two years from now is worth only two, and you're going to owe the four thousand. Are you going to hate yourself? Or are you going to say, "Ah, oh, well, it's okay. I knew what I was risking, and I'm willing to cough up the two thousand as I'm going to have to."
2: Um, I'm I'm thinking that as uh, the years progress that it would be a good idea for me to kind of start saving uh, for uh, in case something does happen uh, by the end of that, um, that, that program.
0: All right, so let me tell you the way I always look at this, and that's what's the worst case scenario. The worst that could happen is am I prepared for that? If you psychologically um, and practically have a strategy that if the market does not do well, that you can handle the borrowing you're doing because in the scheme of life it's not an enormous amount of money you're talking about borrowing for stocks even though borrowing to buy stocks always makes me nervous if you've really thought through that and how much risk you're willing to take go for it you'll learn more about stock investing by doing it but i would not treat it as a lifelong practice borrowing money to buy stocks known as margin I find that to be a very risky thing. Today's Clark Rages moment is really crazy. This is wild what I'm going to share with you. You know how um, most people now are doing their bank deposits on their phones. You have the app from whatever financial institution you're with, credit union, bank, brokerage, whatever, and you take an electronic image of your check you're depositing and you deposit it into your account. I had no idea that there were people who were depositing in one account and then going to cash that same check somewhere else and sticking losses through the banking system. Well, now there's new guidance issued by the Federal Reserve who gets stuck with the loss the second time somebody presents a check. It's not who wrote you the check. It's not the second financial institution you go to to deposit the check. It's the one that you deposit the check with electronically, according to Kiplinger's. So there's a new federal procedure guideline issued on who will be liable in the future based on what you're required to do. Do not be surprised if in the next few weeks you get a notification from your bank, credit, union, brokerage, whoever it is you do electronic deposit with, there will be a phrase they require that you write on the face of the check, you're going to deposit, and that will be something like for mobile deposit only or something of similar wording that the bank is requiring, and that is what you'll have to put on before your deposit will be accepted, the idea being that will eliminate you trying to deposit that check a second time somewhere else. Who knew people would try to run a game like that anyway? Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. There's a big push coming out of Washington to require drug manufacturers in these crazy TV ads they do for drugs to disclose in the ads what a prescription actually costs for the drugs. And the pharmaceutical companies are going crazy. Like, what in the world are you thinking? Why would we ever want to tell anybody that those beautiful models running through the beautiful setting with a backdrop of magnificent mountains or lakes or oceans or whatever. They're smiling ear to ear while the commentator says, may cause your right arm to fall off or may cause you to have really sad suicidal thoughts or whatever. David Lazarus of the Los Angeles Times has written recently about the proposal from Washington that pharmaceutical companies post prices... And what's your perspective on this about having to disclose that those smiling people are taking a drug that would cost you $2,000 a month or whatever?
4: Well, first, Clark, let's give a little credit to the president for at least... High drug prices as something that he's concerned about and indeed since the campaign he has repeatedly returned to this and even said that drug companies are getting away with murder when it comes to pricing but that said he has offered no significant maneuver or, or rule whatsoever to rein in drug pricing and what we got out of the administration last week was simply a proposal that along with all those crazy side effects that get listed when we see ads for prescription meds on tv the drug company also has to include the list price of the drug and the intent here as the, the administration says is to shame the companies into bringing these prices down because so many of these prices are in fact indefensible oh there's a bunch of problems to this first of all uh, what price would they put in the list price which nobody pays the actual price the, the wholesale price That's unclear, Uh, but the bigger problem is the drug industry took one look at that and said, no, we don't think so, and then they trundled out the First Amendment and said, you can't compel us to say things we don't want, and I've put out some calls to some constitutional lawyers to say, well, is that true? I mean, they've got to list all these side effects. Can't they also be forced to list the price? And the lawyers say, no, it looks like you can make a case uh, from the government's point of view to coerce speech if there is a public interest or public health or safety involved. And that's why you do get the requirement for all the side effects. But it would be very difficult for the government to argue that there is a public interest in simply shaming these guys with the scarlet letter of having to publicize their prices. And so the lawyers are saying, you know, look, the drug industry is going to take this all the way to the Supreme Court, where they will probably win in a Citizens United environment where where business has never had more rights and more power and the upshot of this is first of all this is a fight therefore that the government isn't going to win and second of all if the drug industry is forced to litigate guess what they'll just pass those costs on to us
0: all right so let's go to the core of something and this is something i've heard from several doctors that this is very frustrating to them with the with the ads for these pharmaceuticals on tv because they'll have patients come in And they're already pre-sold. Doc, I want you to write me a script for blah, 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 because I saw that it's going to do all these miraculous things. And suddenly I'm going to look like those people in the TV ad in addition to curing what ails me. And so uh, the perspective I've gotten from physicians is that we're the problem more than anything else and that we're allowing ourselves to be too influenced by these ads running on TV.
4: You know, I've heard the same, but also it's important to remember that at this point in the U.S. healthcare system, it's all about turnover or capitation in healthcare terms, which means they've got to get you into the office and out of the office as fast as possible. So if a patient is digging in his or her heels and says, I want drug X, Y, Z, and I'm not going to take no for an answer, a lot of doctors will simply write the script just to get things moving along. And that's kind of why the drug industry now puts more money into marketing than it does into research, because they know it's effective. They don't need to get everybody demanding a prescription med or a brand name med. What they need to get is just uh a a significant number to make it defensible and justifiable and keep you in the brand name fold, and that's where part of the problem is. And let's also underline this point, Clark, and that is there are only two nations in the entire world that allow so-called direct-to-consumer advertising of prescription drugs, and that's us and New Zealand, and that's it. Every other country, especially developed countries like us, have looked at that practice and said, no, we see that as doing more harm than good because, let's face it, these decisions are meant to be made by trained, licensed healthcare professionals and not amateurs like you and me and everybody listening, and therefore it doesn't serve the public interest to do this. In fact, the American Medical Association has called for an end to this practice because they see it as just inflating drug prices and steering people into expensive treatment regimens that there would be much cheaper alternatives for.
0: So, at best, what you and I can do is we can't change that uh, momentum. Uh, We're not that powerful, sorry. (laughs) We can't change that momentum, so we've got to drill back to basics, and that is... At the core, most of us are going to do just fine with a generic med that already exists for a condition that ails us.
4: I think that's absolutely true. I think also people need to be more open-minded to the idea that their doctor, when they come back at you with uh, an idea that, well, there's a generic or there's an alternative drug you might want to explore that's cheaper or covered by your insurance, you certainly want to listen because this is somebody who's read all of the academic papers and done all of the research that you haven't done. So yeah, you want to listen to that person. And I would also encourage people to write to their elected representatives because indeed, if we do want... to try to bring the drug industry focused once again on curing ailments as opposed to moving product, getting rid of these direct-to-consumer ads would be a big step in the right direction because that's Billions of dollars that would therefore be redirected back into more useful endeavors, such as basic research, and wouldn't require me to explain to my son what ED is when we're watching sports together on TV. <laughs>
0: <laughs> best thing you said was that... <laughs> was Gosh, I can't get past you having to explain that to your son. Anyway, <laughs> the best thing you said is that they're now spending more money on this marketing then they're spending on R&D to actually make drugs that will improve people's lives. And that is a real misdirection of national wealth to have all that money go into the ads. And so don't let them change your mind. Don't let those ads influence what you are going to consult with your doctor about.
4: In fact, don't even pay attention to those ads, because let's face it, they are not imparting a sufficient amount of information for you to make an informed decision, and therefore they're not worth your time.
0: Well, David Lazarus from the Los Angeles Times, thank you so much for joining us, and you keep that passion. And by the way, how did you explain to your son what ED is? Is family radio
4: well i would say that things that last for four hours probably aren't good under any circumstances <laughs> <laughs>
0: thank you very much you're welcome appreciate it <laughs> okay Corey's with us on the clark howard show hello Corey. how you doing
5: hi clark i'm good how are you
0: great thank you Corey. you got something that happened in your life that's not a laughing matter it's a
5: good matter i mean we we were able to acquire a car but unfortunately yes uh, it was after my wife's, husband, uh, my wife's dad passed away
0: well i'm very sorry about her loss well thank you so how can i be of service in this situation
5: that caused us to take a look at our uh, auto insurance because we uh we added another car we hadn't really looked at it in a while we kind of realized we might be paying too much for our auto insurance and we started looking at our policy and we're kind of trying to figure out where we can save money with where everything's set at as far as our coverage so uh, we're going to be adding a a six, 16 and 17 year old son onto the policy within the next six months also.
0: oh <laughs> oh oh just stab okay. your wallet just take that knife and stab your wallet a lot yes. because that's what happens yes. when you get a teen driver on your insurance
5: yes yeah, we're lucky enough, though, that we didn't have to buy the car.
0: True. So, so we're,
5: we're saving money there.
0: Any of the cars you have old enough that you can avoid taking um, collision comprehensive on that vehicle?
5: Yes, and that's, that, that. you know, trying to sell that to my wife, but that was one of the first thoughts we had along with um, raising our deductibles.
0: Yeah, so, yeah, so I'm a big fan for... in raising deductibles. Okay. And... Try to raise those to a thousand. That's usually if you're going to have any vehicle you have that has a loan, that may be the max you're allowed to raise it to. Okay. But that helps. And yeah, we're
5: five hundred now. So
0: yeah, so raise it to the thousand because you don't want to make a five hundred claim on something between five hundred and a thousand dollars anyway. No. Because no. the insurer will just eat you up yes. on premiums. So you want to avoid that. And then, how old are your vehicles?
5: Uh, Our oldest vehicle is a 2004.
0: Yeah, you only want to have liability on that one.
5: Yeah, that's okay. That's what I was thinking, too. The other two are newer. We have a 2015, and and the car we just got is a 2014.
0: So your teenager needs to be driving the 04, if your wife will permit that.
5: Yes. uh, I don't know how much longer we're going to have the 04, but yes, that's going to be the one that he's going to spend the most time in for sure.
0: (laughs) So as you, in this case, there may be an advantage in talking with an independent agent. Okay. Uh, You know, it's something people really don't do anymore, but there are agents that are like free agents, and they quote various insurance companies, and they've been there, done that for a long time. Most of them are older, because a lot of young people have no interest in becoming an insurance agent, and so they're very experienced. And can tell you based on how rates are set in your state and situations they've done with new drivers with teenagers, what's going to be the thing that will get you the best overall total premium.
5: Okay, great. Because sometimes,
0: depending on the state and how rates tend to be set in a state, it may be uh, advantageous to have your son as the owner of that vehicle, the O4, okay. and be on a separate policy. And then in other places, it may be better for him to only be named an additional driver with no specific vehicle assigned to him. Perfect. And so that's where the independent agent becomes so valuable because they know how best to quote it, and they can quote from many different companies. There are some what are known as direct writer companies, the ones that you probably see pretty heavily advertised on TV, that will not commission an independent agent, and so the agent will not be able to quote those, but they'll have enough different companies they can quote to you that they'll be able to guide you best.
5: Perfect, perfect. Yeah, we've got some phone numbers already from friends that have gone down that path, and it seems like it'd be very helpful to have somebody specific to us to help us.
0: And you got to make sure they're not what's called a captive agent. For example, State Farm and Allstate The agents that write for them are what are known as captives. They only write for those companies. An independent agent is not assigned to a specific company, and they can quote many different ones.
5: Great. So an independent agent. Okay.
3: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: Ethan is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Ethan. Hi there. Congratulations on being a new parent. Thank you. What'd you have? A little girl. And what's her name? Nora. Nora. Oh, that's a beautiful name. Thank you. Well, how can I be of service? 2018 has been a pretty good
6: and busy year. Um, I've recently changed jobs and uh, made some good improvements there. Uh, Just bought a house, uh, obviously the baby. But my question is, the job I have, they offer a decent 401k plan that I can kind of micromanage myself through one of the major providers for 401k and i was kind of wondering what kind of direction i could go in you know without kind of putting a big hindrance on things i mean i'm 36 i've not really like had a 401k until now so i want to do what i can without yeah, so you, kind of putting you, bind you got on a things. lot
0: of new yeah. responsibilities on you all at once
6: Right, yes. I mean, with the new job, things are going well. I'm not really in a bind at all. I'm making more money because of the new job. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, I'm rich by any means, but so I was just kind of wondering what I could do. Well, if you're you know. just, if you if
0: this is your starting point of saving for retirement, you want to do as, as much as you possibly can stomach financially. So in the 401k, do they offer a match where you've gone to work?
6: Uh, They start off at 6% and then they build from there. I think I can't remember right now what the top out is, but I know they start off at 6% of whatever you pay. All
0: right. So you want to put in as much money as you can to pick up all the free money they're going to give you. Right. And do you know, are you offered the option of doing... What's known as a Roth 401k, or has anybody mentioned that to you? Or are you only allowed to do traditional 401k?
6: They give me all kinds of options: the traditional IRA, the Roth IRA, and there's some. I think there's actually a be, ones, be traditional
0: or Roth 401k.
6: Oh, right, 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 yeah.
0: yeah so at, I at 36, I would go uh, Roth 401k. The money the employer is matching will be um, put on the traditional side the money you contribute goes on the Roth side. And if they keep raising what they'll match based on how much you put in, I want you to go as far in as you can putting money into that Roth 401k so you pick up every single dollar the employer will throw at you. And if over time they'll throw more money at you, you increase what you contribute. And in the plan there will be, if I'm gathering investing is new for you is that right
6: yeah i had just basically started with a 401k program before i transferred into my new job so i've only I, you know i've only dabbled with it just a little bit all right but you know the with my employer now they seem like they're offering a pretty good deal so i wanted to take yeah, so this you the grab you over. grab
0: every bit of it that they're giving you free money and then as far as an investment choice at least at first Keep it as simple as possible. And one of the choices you'll likely have is what's known as a target retirement fund. And based on your age at 36, you would want to look at a 2050 fund. That would be the year that would be your target for retirement.
6: Okay, Okay. all right. And
0: so you just put all the money you're going to contribute into that 2050, and they'll handle how it's invested for you, and a variety of things that would be appropriate for you being at this stage of saving for retirement. So congratulations to you again on Nora and best to you in this new job and stashing that cash for your long-term future. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show.